You folks, I think we can agree on the fact that climate change is urgent and the effects are being felt. Have you noticed how discussions around the climate crisis are evolving to include concepts like climate justice and intersectionality? Absolutely, Whitney. It's not just about rising temperatures. It's about understanding the different ways in which different communities are affected. I think we are getting more awareness of questions of fairness and equality when we are talking about the effects of climate change. And that's also where intersectionality comes in, right? Looking at how factors like race, um, gender, socioeconomic status intersect with climate impacts and how not everyone is impacted in the same way. Exactly, Neta Paulina. But how exactly does that work? Why don't we get a cup of coffee and find out? Let's start reshaping Europe. It's time. A podcast series of dialogue perspectives discussing religions and worldviews. A program supported by the Federal Foreign Office. Hello, wonderful listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Reshaping Europe, the podcast where we look at the critical issues shaping our continent from a variety of perspectives. I'm Henry, and I'm joined by my incredible co-hosts, Whitney, a human rights lawyer, and Neta Paulina, a program manager at Dialogue Perspectives and conflict researcher. We have a fascinating conversation ahead of us today about the field of climate change, justice, and the intersections of identity. That's right, Henry. Our episode today is called How Logical is Biological? Climate Justice Conversations Through an Intersectional, Queer, Ecofeminist Lens. Who? The layers. <laughs> Have you ever wondered about the different impacts of climate change on individuals based on factors like the color of your skin, socioeconomic background, gender, indigeneity, and sexuality? It's a thought-provoking topic indeed. And to help us navigate this complex terrain, we are honored to have Dr. Esma Okio they, them, with us today. As a climate justice researcher, consultant, and activist, Dr. Okio's work focuses on the disproportionate impacts of climate change on people based on exactly those factors, Whitney. But that's not all. Dr. Okia is the founder of the Ecofeminist Institute, and their commitment goes beyond academica. Through policy work, research and consultancy, they thrive for a holistic approach to inclusive climate justice solutions. So join us on this enlightening journey to understand the interconnectedness of climate justice and how we can build a more just and sustainable future for all. Dr. Kia, Asma, we are so glad to have your input. So if you allow us, we would love to jump right in. We have just named a lot of terms that are new to us and probably to our listeners too. Could you start by defining ecofeminism and queer ecofeminism? And what's the difference? Ecofeminism is basically, it stands for ecological feminism, and it started in the 1970s as a movement. It was not in academia until Françoise de Bonne, a French uh, woman, uh, coined the term ecofeminism, and then it basically gained popularity in academia. So ecofeminism stands basically for um, a social movement and a social academic movement as well that sees the interconnection uh, of the oppressions that at the same time oppress women, the LGBTQ community, people of color, uh, indigenous communities and other minoritized groups, as well as the oppression of nature, extractivism and environmental degradation. 
So ecofeminism initially started as a heteronormative movement. So it did not actually include the experiences of the LGBTQ community. So it was queered by some researchers like uh, Greta Gard and myself, uh, because uh, we see that basically standing for a certain group of people like women in this case, but excluding other people from the conversation like trans women or other people who are queer or other people who are uh, fallen in one or two marginalized groups does not really uh, allow the potency of ecofeminism. So that is the difference between the two. Huh. Thank you, Esma, for this insightful explanation. It's fascinating how ecofeminism has evolved over the years, especially in recognizing the need for inclusivity. Now, let's get to the heart of our conversation, the impact of climate change on different groups of people. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. Um, Esma, could you shed some light on how and why climate change affects different communities differently? What are the complex dynamics at play? I like this question because every time someone asks me this, I say, think of this as a storm and think of people as having different kinds of boats and some of them having none. So we might all be in the same storm, which is climate change in this case, but some of us have fancy ships and they are slightly, if not at all, affected. Some of us have tiny boats and other ones are swimming in the cold waters, barely trying to breathe and stay alive. So it does affect people differently because not everybody is equipped with the same resources to combat the impact of the warming planet, of the degradation of the water quality and the air quality and so on. And it basically, you can see the big difference or the contrast between the global south, the countries in the global south versus the global north. Esma, this analogy of different boats in the same storm vividly captures the varying impact of climate change on different communities. It's a really powerful image. Yeah, it is. When we talk about climate justice, this visual really illustrates the importance of recognizing that we have to address unequal impacts. And I guess that requires a nuanced approach. Yes, absolutely. Another question is, how do we ensure that those with fewer resources and more vulnerable positions are not left behind in the pursuit of a sustainable and just future? You know, How can climate justice be adapted to reflect or compensate for this imbalance? I would say the inclusion of voices that have not been heard and getting them to have agency and in position of decision making instead of deciding on their behalf. When it comes to climate justice, it all starts not only with just activism or awareness, but it also is about policies and legislation. So instead of having policies that only care for the rights and the impacts on one certain group while completely dismissing another means that climate justice is actually not really uh, given what it says, which is justice. So I would say one way of adopting it to compensate for this imbalance is to amplify the voices of the ones who are marginalized the most and giving them room and space to actually voice their needs and how they believe the change they need uh, should be framed and what kind of shape it should take. I really love your emphasis on giving voice and agency to marginalized communities in decision-making processes. And it's crucial for achieving true climate justice, I think. Maybe now let's explore how individuals and communities can actively contribute to addressing these challenges. And how can we as individuals take action in our communities to foster a more inclusive and equitable approach to climate justice? 
Well, I would say, first of all, uh, acknowledge your privilege and use it to pave the way for others. When we talk about climate change, I do not see climate action without social justice, uh, because I believe that we cannot really uh, fix the human nature relationship without fixing the human-human relationship. So if we are still dehumanizing some groups of people or not allowing them to have the same rights and equal access to resources like others, we're not really actually walking towards the same goal, which is like climate justice for all, but it's climate justice for all. So as individuals, I would say it could start from basic things like raising awareness. And if you come from a place of privilege, like let's say you can check a few privilege boxes, like you're white, you're cisgender, you're hetero, you have a good socioeconomic background, use that privilege to either hand the mic to somebody else who never had the chance to actually speak up or uh, use the resources that you have access to to lift other people up. Esma, your perspective on using privilege as a technology to pave the way for climate change is truly thought-provoking. It's inspiring to hear you emphasize the inextricable link between social justice and climate action. Absolutely. And I think it addresses a certain kind of solution narratives when we talk about climate change, especially persons who are trying to solve it not by restraint, but by technological progress. And your call to repair human relationships as a fundamental step in addressing climate change resonates deeply with me. It's not just about the environment, it's about creating a just and equitable world for everyone. True, Henry. And as you pointed out, individual actions matter. If someone is in the position of privilege, the suggestion to either pass the microphone or to use resources to uplift others, it's really a tangible way to make a difference. It's more than changing the light bulbs in our house, you know? It sounds like an absolutely crucial aspect of building a more inclusive dialogue. So finally, Esma, can you tell us what challenges you face in making people understand? Uh, some of the challenges, especially when I'm addressed in diverse groups, is trying to get them to understand intersectionality. It requires a lot of exercises, it requires a lot of role play to get people to see the world and to see uh, other situations from different perspectives. Many of us tend to think that our reality is the only reality and that the way we experience a certain thing, which is in this case climate change, could be the same for somebody else, but it actually isn't. And that's actually what I loved here during the seminar. I did a climate justice uh, privilege walk. It was an exercise and the participants thought that they're all coming from somehow same backgrounds, more or less, like at least the socioeconomic ones or like accessibility ones. But when they did the walk, they realized how further they were from each other, how different they were. And I would say that is a reality check for people is to get them to see that you can actually face more than just one sort of oppression and that they can intersect and they are valid and they can coexist together. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and insights. Esma, Dr. Akia, it's been an absolute pleasure. Guys, weren't Esma great? Like so, so much food for thought. Whitney, Henry, where's your head at now? Actually, I have two thoughts on my mind right now. The one is about passing the mic, which is not the same as changing your light bulbs, because actually it takes something. And I think it is necessary to address the fact that, yes, 
environmental justice and justice in general will take from the privileged. It's, I think it's, it's a, it's a factor that's often like dismissed and say, oh, you have so much you can give. And this is true. But at the same time, I think it's necessary to acknowledge that yes, you have to give something. And by that, you will lose. You will gain on the other hand, a lot of things, but to gain something, you will have to give something in the first. So that's my first thought. And the other was like during our conversation, I was thinking about like the term environment and climate and how this is related to us as humans. And usually we think about like we have the planet, we have nature, environment, and then there's humans. And I've read a lot of this or about this topic uh, throughout the last year. And I, I came to the thought that I will stop talking about the environment because it's not about the environment and humans as separated factors. It's about life, whether this is human or plantal or animal life. It's, it's about life and it's about keeping the planet alive or helping the planet to stay alive because actually nature doesn't need us. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, I can see those two points resonating. I just want to point out, right, that obviously, as you say, actually uplifting others, passing the mic, it's something that requires each of us to actually perform an action and to rethink our own position in society, to rethink the privileges that we have. And maybe it also requires us to recognize that realizing one's own privilege is not comfortable. And providing the same rights to others may feel like a loss of privilege, even though it is just uplifting others to the same, um, same advantages you've always enjoyed. And that I think is something that we can also have a conversation about, right? That if this is a necessary thing to do, and I think it's not just in just in quotation marks, but it's not just something that we need to do when it comes to climate change. It's not just something for this crisis. It's a requirement for generally, yeah, speaking to one another at eye level. And maybe circling back on passing on the mic, and it also touches upon what you just said, Neta Paulina. For me, what I take away from what Esma said is that climate justice involves participation, right? Especially participation of those who are seldomly heard in the conversation around climate justice. Mm -hmm. I mean, climate change, we know that climate change disproportionately affects vulnerable populations in every country, particularly those heavily dependent on maybe agriculture, for example. And um, when I think about this issue, I, I think about women <laughs> in particular, um, women, especially in impoverished conditions, often bear like increased risks due to the consequences of, of climate change. And women are also the group of people who are not often given the platform to engage in policy making or planning and um, executing climate-related um, initiatives. So basically what I'm trying to say is no, no justice, no peace, but, but also no justice, no trees. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> I mean, you are making it uh, so such a wonderful round circle. Thank you, Whitney. I mean, this is exactly where we started, right? Like, why do we need ecofeminism? And then why do we need to, to widen this term to queer ecofeminism? Exactly that that 
the population that is really, yeah, that oppresses women, that, that this is also oppressing other groups and that they need to be included. And I think we can widen this more and more. And at the same time, it's so important to also be specific. And so I think it's great that ESMA have equipped us with the tools and terms that we need to go forth with this conversation. Right. Is anyone's coffee cup still full? Actually not. Quite, <laughs> quite empty, to be yeah. honest. Need a refill. All right, guys. Then, Whitney, what did you say? No justice, no trees? No justice, no trees, you guys. And with that, dear listeners, we wish you a lovely day and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.